Hello and welcome to Sherlocktober, a most regular podcast. Uh, I'm Matty and I'm joined again uh, for the second year in a row by my wonderful co-host Christy. Hello Christy. Hello! It's that time of year. I've only roped Christy into doing one episode of Sherlocktober this year as opposed to the four <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> of last fun. year. Uh, it was. So for a little behind the scenes info for the audience, it's currently where I am, 10 minutes to 1 o'clock in the morning. I've been awake since about half past 7, and I've had quite a day. So, fortunately for me, this episode is mostly going to be Christy talking, which is fortunate for me on a number of levels. One, because I enjoy Christy talking, and two, I won't have to participate much, because I'm quite tired. Maybe you can tell from my voice, I'm absolutely fucking knackered. So, I apologise in advance if... I sound like some sort of inebriated dog, but that's just it is what it is. It's it's the nature of the beast. I'm just, I don't know what I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but fortunately <laughs> for me, uh, Christy is is um, bringing the good stuff this episode. So, Christy, would you like to tell the folks what it is you'll be discussing this evening? Absolutely. Here at my TED Talk, we're gonna do <laughs> uh, Miss Sherlock, which is a 2018. Eight episodes brought to us by HBO Asia and a Hulu joint production with a female-led adaptation of Sherlock Holmes from Japan. Miss Sherlock. Maybe you've heard of it. I don't know. If you've listened to the previous episode of this year's Sherlock Over, you know that we discussed uh, the Lady Sherlock series by yes. Sherry Thomas. So are you noticing a theme? <laughs> it's a good theme. These are some good Lady Sherlocks we have here. The theme is ruining your childhood <laughs> somehow. <laughs> By putting a lady, by putting a lady in a thing. Exactly. So, Miss Sherlock. Miss Sherlock, yes. What's all that then? Okay. Tell me, give me, <laughs> give me the scoop. Okay. It stars Yuko Takeuchi, who plays Sherlock, uh, Shihori Kanjia, who plays Watasan, and um, Yuki Saito, who plays a character I'm not going to mention. <laughs> uh, you'll see her pretty early on, and she's amazing. She's fantastic she's a really actually very famous uh actress in japan so um and miss sherlock as i said aired in 2018 so this year for eight episodes and it's a contemporary female-led adaptation of sherlock holmes with new mysteries and aspects being inspired by the original stories it's a great series <laughs> i strongly suggest getting hold of it if you can uh it is streaming on hulu but you have to have an HBO extension pass, evidently. That's a thing. So if you have that, go to town. But if you don't, um, you know, uh, there's other ways and means of getting a hold of it. But yeah. it is legally streaming in that regard. What could you possibly <laughs> mean I don't, You know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Overall, as a contemporary adaptation of Sherlock Holmes, Miss Sherlock does a lot of really fun, clever work. But there's also within the series a very interesting... Mm. interpretation slash alteration to the abilities of Sherlock done for the purpose of being more socially coherent within the contemporary Tokyo setting. And that's going to be kind of what I talk about here. Really quickly, I want to clarify that I am not Japanese. <laughs> I am a white woman who has never lived in Japan, and I have no direct prolonged interaction with Japanese society in Japan. That out of the way, I did grow up in Hawaii, which is a melting pot cultural social realities area and the largest second influencer of which is Japanese society and I also have 
slightly more important, a uh, degree in anthropology, which culminated in a thesis on Japanese socialization of children in comparison to the socialization of children in Hawaii. So I have a somewhat indirect knowledge of the things I'm going to be talking up, enough to the point where I have confidence of bringing them up. <laughs> and um, my motivation for doing so is purely because I love Sherlock Holmes and Sherlock Holmes media. And I thought that some of them like really interesting and lovely character work that Miss Sherlock shares may be something that goes unnoticed by a lot of viewers, which is a shame. And basically, I'm just a big nerd with a really specific skill set. And, and I could, I was like, oh, oh, this is exciting. This is wonderful. I want to share it. And that's like the only motivation I have. So that out of the way, Maddie. Hello. Hello. You're awake. Okay, cool. Sherlock, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. That's good. Yeah. Check, <laughs> check, check in periodically. I will check in. I'll check in. Uh, Sherlock Holmes's abilities are what exactly would you say? Observation, deduction, which is kind of like observation, memorization. I'd say it's the ability to make connections between information both observed and recollected. Yeah. It's a little bit like what computers do. It's <laughs> it's true, yeah. You you give them input and then they can like cross reference and yeah, just you know, Sherlock Holmes things. <laughs> yeah, Sherlock Holmes things. He he looks at stuff and then he says clever clever brain he, words. He gives good bits. Yeah. It's like the reading of items to infer choices or events and stuff. So like he notices someone has rain on their coat but it's not raining outside. You know, where'd that come from? <laughs> Someone's got a big callus on their left thumb, like, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so it's like typically things about individuals' choices or their state of mind or circumstance, but not necessarily things that are inherent to a character or a person's feelings. I mean, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's Overall, it's safe to say that the character of Sherlock doesn't exactly focus on motivations so much as straight observational things of events. I'll, I'll get into this again. And that always, you know, varies based on whatever Conan Doyle or various other authors need or want to use the character for. Um, but a lot of time, you could say Sherlock Holmes stories aren't whodunits, but a lot more of along the lines of how howdunits, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Mm. I'd say so, yeah. Because uh, yeah. like, like I said, like I said to um, Becca on the previous episode, where when uh, Becca was talking about how the the structure of like the Golden Age crime novel, it is like almost like a puzzle that the reader yes. can play along at home. And the Sherlock Holmes stories are, on the whole, tend to not be like that. Yes. Uh, and I, as I said to Becca, frequently, Holmes will just fuck off <laughs> and then come back later and be like, right, I solved it. Here's how it happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, often the, the reader doesn't get to be present at the, at the denouement because, you know, Watson wasn't there. Yeah. And Watson's sort of writing off afterwards. It so it's often like not... Sherlock Holmes tends not to do like the the Hercule Poirot thing of assembling everyone, everyone in, in the room, room, yeah, and then waiting for the culprit to go. Yes, it was me. It was me all ah. along. Here's how I did it. Yeah, it's kind of the inverse of that, where Sherlock Holmes is like, "You did it, and I'll tell you how." <laughs> um, Holmes was all of, Holmes was sort of all about the method. Yeah, almost like more method than results. I mean, the results are what he's after, but you know, the stories concern themselves mostly with the method because that was kind of the draw for them it was to see you know Sherlock Holmes make these 
deductive connections exactly. between bits of information. Because like, so all, a thing that happens all the time in the Sherlock Holmes books is Holmes makes a deduction. People basically do everything short of accusing him of witchcraft. <laughs> and then he sort of talks them through how he arrived at his conclusion based on whatever it is <laughs> based, based on like the visual evidence that he had to work with and then usually then they go oh it's so simple anyone could do it it's like mm, <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure yeah and uh <laughs> and but because of that though like the emphasis not necessarily being on i've already said it so now it's like all i can think of is who done it but more of a how done it is my favorite it's always a good time when someone in a home story is like i know this bastard's guilty i just don't know how <laughs> like that's his goal is really to figure out how instead of it's like we already know who it is we just don't know how they did it like uh the speckled band comes to mind or um sussex vampire stories like that uh and we already you already brought it up a little bit and then the other aspect of sherlock holmes abilities is that people react to his re his deductions in what way you know it's an impressive trick or bafflement or insult awe fear <laughs> typically and initially and then usually they're like sorcery oh. yeah yeah and then they're always like oh it's not that big a deal <laughs> so sherlock knowing an individual in ways they haven't chosen to disclose is often expressed as being socially uh unwanted a lot of the time <laughs> you know what i mean he'll insult people because he'll bring something up that they didn't mention or say or tell him about and like why should he know something personal about them the sherlock of Miss Sherlock, this series, this Japanese show, um, is not often made to turn her skills on others directly, but with more of an emphasis on locations, items, and events. She does tell others, you know, about themselves or what they've exposed to her, and she can be kind of flashy about it, but it's not presented as her flashiest skill like it is in BBC Sherlock or even Elementary or good old 1994 Baker Street Sherlock Holmes Returns. Um, <laughs> callback. <laughs> a classic of the form. I think we can agree. Yes. Um, another thing Miss Sherlock does is it expresses that Sherlock is very aware of the oddity in her knowledge and her abilities of observation. Like, something, I'm, I don't know if I want to say unique to this Sherlock, but noticeable, is that she isn't exasperated all that often because others don't see what she sees. And that can be a hallmark of Sherlock Holmes is he's exasperated with the police. You know, he, he's kind of nice and cordial to him, but he'll be rolling his eyes in the background or I think more, more, than once, more than once he does make reference to policemen and their boots. Yeah. Yes. Vis-a-vis -vis crime scenes. <laughs> yes. So, but that's not something this Sherlock does all that often, which is, which is interesting. And that's kind of the core basic of this Sherlock is that she's actually fairly polite she is pushy and things we'll get into that but she's fairly polite and she's very self-aware that just because she can see things that other people can't doesn't mean she's constantly berating other people for it so we're going to go into some other basics cultural basics now all right so cover some cultural basics now altruistic altruistic i always say that word wrong sensitivity <laughs> is a broad way of describing the japanese concept of Omoriyari, which is one's ability to consider and act on another's situation and feelings. Omoriyari means to understand someone's feelings outside of one's own self-concept, and it's classified as a pro-social behavior, which means it's a social, 
It's a socially conscious behavior that is intended to benefit others and society as a whole. Uh, similar concepts, social concepts, are things like reciprocity or lying, even. And if you want some fun, you should look into the culture of lying in China. Anyway, uh, Moriari is integrated into life. It is in everyone's social connections between everyone, in an inner social space as well as, you know, an outer, more collective social space. Um, if you have trouble with implementing and expecting Omoriari, you are going to struggle in Japanese society, and it will be difficult. Of course, there are a lot of reasons someone may have trouble with Omoriari, and I cannot stress enough that Omoriari does not exist only in a state of giving. It's not someone constantly giving to another person and trying to think of another person. And it's very, 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 it's complicated. <laughs> it's like, every, it's a reciprocal thing. It is. It goes back, it goes forth, and it's something that can be desired and wanted. So, like, people believe that their true feelings will be understood by the right people. The people whose, their actions and their behavior should, quote, or, quote, should, um, be understood by. So, real people living in this world... <laughs> may not share their feelings and their behavior may contradict their feelings but they believe that the people who should understand will understand and that's kind of it sounds so complicated it sounds like you know a bit much but it's really really not <laughs> and I'll, I'll do my <laughs> best to break it down it's one of those things where when you're reading about it or learning about it in a book or like being told about it like this, you seem, oh, it seems so complicated. But like most social things, it's actually very, mm, it's not as complicated as it seems, while also being, you know, infinitely more complicated because human beings are complicated. Anyway, uh, so Omoriari can be and is something that is accepted, expected, and wanted. It is an incredibly versatile pro-social behavior, and it is at times, you know, a borderline tool. And much like there are people within society who, for various reasons, may struggle with Omoriari, and, you know, some of those people are just going to be straight up don't want to engage people <laughs> or the rules or, you know, whatever. Um, there are also people who are experts at manipulating Omoriari and people's and society's expectations and, you know, repeated patterns of pro-social behaviors, like there are experts who are, you know, really good at manipulating reciprocity and lying you know if you have a system then that creates the potential for someone to someone who understands that system to manipulate it exactly and i i want to stress again that moriari isn't a hazy shapeless entirely theoretical social thing it's it's very very active in people's relationships and it's something that must be nourished and practiced and implemented it's not an automatic thing. No social behavior is, frankly, but, but uh, mm. you know, Omoriari is something that is learned and it's maintained by individuals. The abilities of Sherlock Holmes being transplanted onto a person in a social culture where interpersonal competence can oftentimes hinge on observing, considering, and acting on another's unspoken feelings is very interesting. And it has made for the, the slightest of alterations to the known and expected characteristics of Sherlock Holmes, as well as the function of the mysteries that are being solved in these episodes. So now we're kind of, you got the basics there. 
right? So we're going to filter into <laughs> Miss Sherlock. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil the show. I'm going to kind of cover mostly like the first couple episodes because then things really get going and I don't want to, you know, cause anyone harm. I will be spoiling the first episode. It's okay because it's <gasps> it's a setup episode. <laughs> not, it's not going to be like blowing anybody away exactly. You know, that's not quite how that episode works. So that one's a, I will spoil that one, but I will do my best to not, you know, spoil anything else. Although I will talk about episodes. So the Sherlock of Miss Sherlock isn't one to cut people off by telling them what they were about to say or what they're thinking. Watso-san, which is like the best, the best thing ever. <laughs> Her name is, instead of Watson, it's Watso-san. Oh, it's so good. Um, Watso-san <laughs> is more likely to fulfill that role, just as Watto is more likely to think of cases in terms of people acting on motivation rather than uh, an individual's personalized feelings. And we now know that there is, of course, a difference. Motivation does not mean that somebody doing those things wants to, right? There's a separation in a lot of uh, Japanese storytelling between someone's motivation and who they actually are, which isn't as common in original Sherlock Holmes stories. So this Sherlock um, and this Sherlock Holmes series tends to only read others' full motivations at the end of a case and then primarily through the lens of their feelings and not just their actions. Uh, one of the clearest examples of these is in the second episode called Sachiko's Mustache. When a vandal draws a mustache on Sachiko, a famous painting on loan at a museum, the owner approaches Sherlock for help in uncovering why the painting was targeted. And through the investigation, you know, we discover events to be related to, to offshoots of different people's desires with a murder occurring that isn't entirely relevant to the vandalization of the painting, but it's still connected. And in a lot of Sherlock Holmes derivative media, characters' motivations are not the real linchpin in solving or understanding a case and figuring out how a crime was committed. You know, like that's not quite how a lot of the bulk of those original stories and then everyone else following and behind, um, how they work a lot of the time. And plenty of Sherlock's out there in the saturated Sherlock media world don't necessarily consider the feelings behind the crimes they're called in to investigate, but rather focus on the event's functionality as a puzzle, as part of a whole to be placed together and then understood. In Miss Sherlock, cases are still puzzles, but their resolution isn't just in the connection of events into how and who did what, but rather that placed importance on the exposure of people's real opinions and desires. Sherlock only really evaluates other characters' emotional reasoning once she understands them in context as an individual person and not just their actions as a part of a series of events or a part of that puzzle. And uh, there's a really intense version of this in episode three, which is called Lily of the Valley. And I don't want to spoil it, but towards the end of the episode, the antagonist character claims they're doing what they're doing because they want to help children of parental abuse. And Sherlock rolls her eyes. <laughs> at her. <laughs> the character who supposedly wants to help children rise out of and overcome abuse is attempting to manipulate Omoriari, but in a really disengaged way. So it makes sense in context of what we know of them as a person, as a character, for them to want that and to say that, even in contradiction of what they're doing to accomplish their goal. But Sherlock says to them that what they're doing because they need it, not the children. And she's right. But in the in the scene, in the scenario that's this is happening, 
it's Watasan who pays for it, for her, Sherlock saying that out loud. So again, I'm trying to be a little vague because I don't want to spoil stuff. But the entire scene, the entire back and forth is a really, in my opinion, really interesting allegory for Omoriori and social expectations and surface level interactions with that chess-like lower level of emotional interactions playing out underneath. Yeah, it's in a really fun, intense time, and if you ever get around to watching it, uh, I would suggest pay attention to Watasan, who is the person at the utmost disadvantage in the scenario in this scene. <laughs> but her behavior in that scene is very, very different. Again, sorry it's so vague. I really don't want to ruin it. Again, it's really cool, so I don't want to ruin anything. So anyway, back to Sachiko's mustache. The murder within that story is certainly a question of how did this happen, as many Sherlock Holmes cases are. But what's a bit different is the how is resolved fairly quickly within the episode, while the question of why did someone do this is related to just one individual, and it's not strictly tied to the case. And again, in this series, the ability to uncover people's true feelings brings about the real resolution and answers. And it's oftentimes in cases that could have been avoided if those involved had considered and acted on another situation and feelings. So again, the, the Omoriari concept really, really filters itself throughout every fiber of this show's being from episode to episode. <laughs> so why, then, does the series frame Sherlock's ability to observe as unsettling or flying fast and loose with the assumption that people have seen <laughs> this show and it's unlikely people have but this series frames through the camera work and music and body language it frames Sherlock's ability to do her deduction to do her reasoning as a little bit creepy not cool like in Sherlock BBC not impressive like in elementary creepy <laughs> so why why does this show do that for this character there's not many versions of Sherlock Holmes I can think of where it's creepy. And why in it, this show with this character from this from Japan, <laughs> this culture, framing what supposedly is an idolized, you know, form of someone's ability to understand Omoriari, why is it being framed as something creepy? So this is also very interesting to me. Um, you know, many Sherlocks are eccentric, and oftentimes their Watsons are the only ones who put up with them. <laughs> not all the time, but typically Watson's considered the only person that can put up with their Sherlock's bullshit, you know? <laughs> In Miss Sherlock, Watasan is an incredibly, incredibly altruistic Watson. She's a doctor who volunteered to go to Syria, and she is, from the start, incredibly tapped into a sense of justice regarding the treatment of others. She has an incredibly well-honed and it's, it's presented as even a natural ability for Omoriari and engaging others in an open, trusting way. And it's actually her who is at most odds with Sherlock, not others, not Miss Hudson, not the police, not anybody else. It's Watto who is most often, you know, upset <laughs> with and at Sherlock. That's a really interesting change to the dynamic. It, it really is. And again, it's a bit subtle because we all know that Sherlock Holmes is kind of an asshole. And we all know that <laughs> even Wat all the Watsons, all the Watsons get frustrated and kind of, uh, you know, with their Sherlock. But with, with Watto, it is significantly different. And it's, it's mostly played up to contrast of those around. Watto's the one who gets worked up, not 
other people who are getting offended. Most actually are really impressed and actually kind of like Sherlock. It's Watto that has trouble with her. In, in fact, Sherlock's behavior is often overlooked or uncommented on by those she is with. It's Watto-san's horror and embarrassment uh, comes from her own, <laughs> it comes from her own really well-tuned understanding of absolutely every single social interaction they encounter. So, <laughs> so why isn't Watto-san like Sherlock? Why is she not endowed with the same abilities if she has this natural talent for Omoriari. Why is Watasan the one who's gung-ho about solving cases and guessing what people do, why they do? She's the one who acts on her own case theories and they're usually wrong. So why why is that? And and this is where things get even more interesting <laughs> for me. And this is where the character <laughs> work really starts to shine. And I'll lay it out kind of quick and then hopefully go over things a little bit slower. So Sherlock does not engage the social pretense of normal interactions, which is, is just a really interesting adaptation of this character. She she does not care to the point where she doesn't use her abilities all the time. She doesn't tell people where they've been or who they are when they come to visit her. She lets them talk. Sherlock listens and asks questions. It's Watasan who's interrupting people and guessing. During cases, Sherlock observes and you know, cracks the mysteries of various people's desires, but at the expense of acknowledging those desires as real and total offshoots of experiences and realities. So she'll crack cases and she'll be able to do these amazing things, but she doesn't connect that it's a lived reality for the person who she's talking to. Again, this is the quick overlay, we'll get into it. It's Watosan's horror at a lot of Sherlock's behavior and treatment of other people is is justified. And in a lot of ways, the show positions that Sherlock herself is a expert manipulator of Omoriari and social expectations. She doesn't count on anyone to complain about, you know, not taking her shoes off to enter a house. She's here to help, to solve a problem. She's been called in. She's the expert, right? She knows <laughs> that people are going to give her room. And she expects Miwaku which is for people to not trouble her. Miwaku is another really, really amazing social concept where it's the idea of not causing trouble for someone else. At the, ex like, maybe, uh, okay, so you're going on a train and someone's on the train and they have their cell phone, they're talking on their phone and you're not supposed to do that. You could say, hey, you're not supposed to do that. But a lot of times in Japan, it would be Miwaku. Don't cause trouble, no trouble. So you just, you just don't say anything. It's fine. <laughs> You know, so she she expects that of people. She expects that people are going to just let her do what she wants because she's the expert. She's Sherlock Holmes. She's, she's kind of Wagamama, which is self-centered. Uh, so she uses uh, her status and the assumed reasoning of, of helping others while, while Watosan instantly recognizes that Sherlock is willing to hurt others for a win. And this happens very, very quickly. So you have Sherlock who, I can't stress enough how cool it is that this Sherlock cares, just gives so little fucks that she doesn't even have her ability on all the time. She literally is like, not worth it. And she just shuts it down. <laughs> like, it's amazing. <laughs> and and Watasan has kind of an opposite problem where she cannot turn off her hyper sense of what is right, what is wrong, who she's talking to, you know, the status between every single person in the room and all these different things. So that kind of comes out in interesting and different ways than you would expect with these characters. Um, and it's it's Watto's continued 
persistence in Sherlock's life that starts to wind Sherlock down into recognizing how she approaches and treats others matters and that she can't connect to others if she lives outside of those pro-social behaviors and patterns. A common Japanese phrase is sashi no bunka, which translates to guessing culture, which is overall the foundation of omoriyari. I mean, the ability to gauge someone's true thoughts and intentions that are not being expressed and, you know, is seen as this amazing perfect form of communication. But of course, the other side of that is what's called osakai, which is, you know, the overbearing meddlesomeness of someone who read your thoughts or feelings or intentions wrong. And I gotta say, it is, it's so common. It's just as common as getting it right. It's about 50-50 because you're just freaking guessing, aren't you? Like you don't know what someone else is really feeling. You could do your best to guess about why someone's done something or said something or, you know. <laughs> it sounds like the perfect fuel for like comedy of errors. <laughs> it is. It is. It happens all the time in lots of Japanese stories and scripts and things like that. If you've watched anime or read manga or J-drama or anything like that, any engagement at all, you have seen this stuff. When you started talking about it, I I instantly pictured, like, Ranma half. <laughs> Ranma would have, uses this type of stuff just all the time. <laughs> and you don't have to know it to get what's happening and stuff, but... Rumiko Takahashi is really good at that. She's very, very good, yes. She's amazing. <laughs> so but i just i want to stress that it's like you go to japan it's not everybody's super super well tuned to everyone else and they all get along really well like it's it's 50 50 and this can this stuff omoriari and stuff like that can backfire hardcore like you can if someone's you've you've you fucked it up if someone in japan's like that is not what i was thinking <laughs> that's bad and again if you watched anime or read manga or watched move japanese movies and stuff if you've ever seen one of those scenes where someone just loses their shit that's like it's like oh it's a big deal but if you actually know this stuff you're like oh shit <laughs> like it's a big deal <laughs> so in the first episode the first case uh watasan chases after sherlock after they initially meet and she's really pissed off because sherlock pressed a grieving woman whose husband just died over her sexual activities and She's like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, that's messed up. Um, and Sherlock does her Sherlock thing. And she makes correct observations about Watto due to her suitcase and her watch and her smell. Which are not observations on Watto's <laughs> feelings or intentions. But it is portrayed as being really, really unnerving. She gets up in Watto's face. She, like, literally smells her. Yeah, let's not beat around the bush. If there's someone that you don't know really well... And you're talking about their smell? Yeah. That's weird. It's weird. And the, the show displays it as being weird. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's it's not like... And I, again, um, if you haven't seen it, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. But if you've seen, you know, BBC Sherlock, it's displayed as really cool and flashy and snappy and cool editing. And it's, you know, it's a superpower. That's kind of like the bread and butter of a lot of mystery procedural type it shows. Is. There's always like, you know, often the detective character will be sort of quite unnerving and, you know, do things that are unexpected. The thing that comes to mind is, did you ever see the the, the TV show Due South? Yes. If you're not familiar with it, it's about a Mountie who <laughs> ends up having to go to Chicago for, for reasons. 
uh, and he has a pet wolf and he talks to the ghost of his dad. Oh, it was a God, nice I thing. So, like, yeah, uh-huh. Magical realism yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the big thing. So it was the thing. He frequently converses Thanks, with the ghost of his father, yeah. who is basically, who looks like a Mountie Leslie Nielsen. And this, this Mountie, who basically has the personality of, like, the Silver Age Superman, <laughs> he's almost like Dudley Do-Right. I was just going to say it's Dudley do and he's he's paired with this like streetwise Chicago cop. <laughs> they fight crime, mm. and I just remember there's one episode where Fraser, um, the Mountie, sort of bends down and he picks like a piece of dirt up off the floor and examines it, and he licks it. <laughs> and so the audience and his partner are supposed to say, "Oh, you know, he's doing some kind of like detection <laughs> thing," yeah. and. It turns out that Fraser knew the suspect was observing them. And he said, I just wanted them to think I'd found something. <laughs> and, Ray, and Ray is like, so you just licked dirt for no reason. Just off the ground. Like, I had a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it sounds interesting in terms of that, where there's like the detective genre is used to unusual mannerisms in detectives. And usually it's played for comedy. It's played for comedy or it's played to be like intriguing or cool yeah it's very very rarely i think displayed as creepy (laughs) the only sort of real thing i can think of is i think i remember it coming up in the tv show monk and the gimmick of that show was that the detective has obsessive compulsive disorder where you know which isn't great because that's feeding into you know that's like a legit condition (laughs) it's like oh i see now it's creepy Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> it's a good message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so this series it, it displays Sherlock's ability as kind of unnerving and throws Watto off a lot. And this scene acts as a prelude, and I'm gonna spoil the episode now, um, to Sherlock's really callous behavior upon pressing that same woman, that suspect, um, the woman Watto was, you know defending and she was upset about Sherlock pressing her about her sexual activities. Her name is Akiko and when Akiko is confessing her actions, she she's having <laughs> a really intense reaction because she's divulging this really traumatic um past and experience she's had and her whole life and it's it's a combination of her motivation for why she did what she did as well as just this, you know, thing she's been keeping inside for so long and she's in very very obvious huge amounts of pain and sherlock gleefully explains that akiko isn't clutching her chest out of a struggle to breathe she's explaining this to watto but to touch her morning jewelry which is underneath her shirt and which holds the hair of her murdered daughter and it's there's it's a horror there's a horror to sherlock's behavior in this scene and right out the bat it's that otherness is depicted by her ability to know or at least guess another person another person's intentions and feelings and their experience without displaying any form of omoriari and it's it's creepy (laughs) and it's kind of weird and it scares the crap out of Watto. um and that's (laughs) why again i'm gonna spoil it sherlock is is she's too late to guess that akiko is is going to kill herself because even though she's honed this amazing ability to guess and to see she doesn't utilize it to its most full capacity which is to be for the benefit of 
others. She doesn't see that Akiko. She sees it. She's hurting, but she doesn't experience it. And she doesn't anticipate. She doesn't use Omorari at all. So Akiko kills herself, and Sherlock's kind of standing there like, oh, crap. <laughs> she, she gets it quick enough, but she's not fast enough to, to stop her. Um, and it's it's very, very intense. And, you know, it, she doesn't anticipate other people's ability, doesn't anticipate others with Omoriari at all. So her ability to do what she does, it borders on Asekai, which is, you know, being harmful, to be hurtful, to be nosy, to to cause problems, even though she's solving cases, and that that's at least at the start of the story. Uh, through the episodes, we very quickly start to see Sherlock take her observational skills and turn them towards anticipating and helping those around her by really seeing them as individuals with experiences and not simply, you know, through her own desire to solve a mystery. There's a narrative arc in I think it's season two of Elementary where Sherlock's sort of too cavalier attitude on a case ends up resulting in one of the detectives in the NYPD that he works with getting shot and like potentially in a career damaging way. Yeah. In that Bell's he wouldn't hand. be able to he would you know he wouldn't be able to work active cases because he wouldn't be able to use a firearm. And I think you know lots of Sherlock Holmes media tend not to show the harm that can come from the like not just Sherlock Holmes but like detective media it's like a lot of them will shy away from the idea of showing that that there can be adverse consequences yeah to you know if 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 a detective skills are not employed responsibly then there can be knock-on effects exactly and and that kind of goes into this show's overall general thesis is the majority of these cases are amongst people that it could have been avoided if they had considered the other's situation and they had you know either took the time to talk about it or to think about the other individual not just their own pain or their own problem or their own you know view and opinion and a lot of it sometimes is displayed as maybe these people get to where they go or do the things they do because they've cut off their ability for Omoriari, and it acts as kind of a warning that slowly starts to, to wake Sherlock up that she can't cut it off. She can't keep assuming people are just going to know, you know, leave her alone, not trouble her. She has to tr go through the trouble herself. She needs to make trouble for herself to, to stop and look around and recognize what she's doing and what she's saying and to who and what effect it might have on other people. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's good <laughs> stuff. Um, I really can't stress that enough. So, there's an episode, I was very excited when this happened, there's an episode, um, I think it's the fourth episode, it's called the, wow, dang it, did I write it down? Oh, um, the Wakasugi, yeah, Wakasugi, a family curse, and it's a very, very loose version of the Sussex Vampire, which is like one of my favorite stories, because it's so weird. Yeah, I remember seeing the Granada. Yeah version of that when i was a kid and there's a bit at the start where jeremy brett turns around and he's got fangs yeah yeah because he's had like a dentist that he knows make them it freaked me the fuck out <laughs> oh no because i because i was like six <laughs> yeah that's a freaky it's like a the one of the weirdest weirder uh stories jeremy brett did look you know dracula quite vampiric yeah yeah in t at times uh you know his, his homes was very you know 
he could quite easily have been Dracula. I'm pretty sure he played Dracula on the stage. I would be astonished if he didn't. Yeah. That's the kind of man if he walks into the audition, yeah, you right. Wait, that's our Dracula. Like, you already own a cape, right? You could just show up. <laughs> You've got all this covered, probably. <laughs> like, this is not your first Dracula, I bet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, at the end of this Family Curse episode, at the wrap-up of the case, there's... Okay, two things I want to talk about. At the wrap-up of the case, there's this really wonderful visual confirmation of of growth where Sherlock goes to position herself alongside Watasan, who who had just stood up for the intentions of another person, who had just, for no reason other than wanting those involved to feel understood and not let anyone walk away without at least attempting a balance of Omoriari. She's, she's put herself out there into, you know, discussing with these two people that have a very in, very real, very <laughs> intense uh, history and kind of cu- accumulated in this, this their problem. Again, the vague talking strikes again. Anyway, Sherlock goes to stand by Watasan, and she's obviously moved and emotionally exhausted. <laughs> and she doesn't do anything but go and stand next to her, and it's this visual confirmation of her deciding to align with Watasan's efforts, and it's it's very, very nice. And it's that type of stuff that I love about this show. <laughs> and uh, another thing that she does is that scene segues into the next scene where Sherlock turns the family's son, Daiki, um, towards her, and she says to him, your mother protected you. She didn't want you to be the bad guy. Based on this story, I mean, if you know the original Sussex Vampire story that involves a baby and a blow dart and a really mad, angry son, um, <laughs> and the mother has to like suck the baby's blood. There's a version of that happening here, but the kid is actually not a bad kid. And he was kind of used by somebody else. So the mother tried to, you know, protect the son by refusing to speak about what happened. Anyway, so Sherlock tells him, she says, your mother protected you and she didn't want you to be the bad guy. Um, Yeah, so we're going to segue into this other part here. Uh, Psycholinguist, which is a really fun word. uh, Patricia Clancy wrote on language socialization in Japan in the very long title of The Socialization of Effect in Mother-Child Conversation. And she observed that Japanese mothers often dictate a voice to the unspoken feelings and thoughts of others to their children, including explaining other people's actions to their children. So, like, if a kid is playing with a toy near their sibling, a mother in a Japanese mother may state, your sister wants to play, even though the sister didn't say anything, she's just sitting there, like maybe she can't even talk. Uh, the the mother is, through her words, positioning a positive action based on guessing, omoriari, and guiding her children to consider the other as well as expect to be considered, um, which is in contrast to someone like me, where I tell my kids, why don't you share? <laughs> you know, me, I'm the one positioning into them, like, why don't you ask to play with Charlie, you know? Um, I don't say to, for Buster, Buster says they want to play, you know, to Charlie, like, I don't, I don't do that. Um, if I was in Hawaii, I'm, I might, because that's actually somewhat common back home, but anyway. You're more likely to say, maybe don't drop kick your brother in the chest, like they do in the Godzilla films. That's a lot more common of what comes out of my mouth, day to day, minute to minute. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the interactions that you have with your kids are great, but it strikes me as occasionally that you would be perfectly justified in just turning to them and going, 
What the fuck? <laughs> I won't lie. I think I swear probably more than most parents do in the presence of their children. You know, not at them, but oftentimes a result of what they're doing or I have come across. Your kids are going to be so ahead of the curve. They it's... really are already. They are going to be A-okay. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> I haven't got any calls from school yet. Fingers crossed. Uh, that's because Buster hasn't started school yet. Yeah, I think about that sometimes. What's going to happen the first time Buster defenestrates a child that's like twice their height? Buster. We'll see, won't we? We'll all have lots of fun stories, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so... <laughs> Oh, Buster at school. Oh, my God. Okay. So, anyway, <laughs> at the end of the episode, Sherlock tells Dykey directly what his mother's intentions were. So, she is taking the prerogative to instill Omoriari onto the son's perspective and his perception of events on his mother's behalf, who is like, literally right next to him and who remains silent. So... After listening to Sherlock, Dyke, he turns towards his mother and she returns his gaze. And it's this really beautiful nonverbal communication confirming Sherlock's statement. It's, it's emotional and it's wonderful. And it's stuff like that that makes Miss Sherlock, in my opinion, a really, really great contemporary adaptation of the Sherlock's Holmes story. And, you know, this is only the, the I'm talking about the fourth episode. You go on. And, and things go quickly and things change. And you can really, really see the alteration of Sherlock with, with Watto, Watto-san into her life. And then also the, the alteration onto Watto-san from Sherlock. And it's it's great stuff. And if you're a fan of Sherlock Holmes, I really suggest it. Um, I could go into more things, but I feel like I don't want to over-explain it because you have to experience it for yourself. But again, there's a lot of cultural stuff, a lot of social things that are going on in this series that work so well with these characters. And in part, I think maybe that's why the Sherlock Holmes character is so popular. I mean, Sherlock is popular everywhere, right? Honestly, the Holmes character is universally well-known and liked. The existence of this show speaks to a certain global recognition of Sherlock. I mean, we, t we talked a little bit about this last year with the, the idea that the mimetic image of Sherlock Holmes with the deerstalker hat and the cape and the pipe is the in many ways the mimetic visual for detective i think so and, and i mean she doesn't wear the deer soccer or anything in this show a very very fashion very fashionable though give it time Boo. um and the thing is it's just with with these characters it's until you watch it and you see it and again if you have this base of knowledge that not everyone's going to have and they don't need to have you don't need to have this you don't need to know this stuff to enjoy miss sherlock as sherlock holmes or as its own separate experience. Um, but if you have this knowledge, it's really awe-inspiring how they've decided to use this really, really well-known character, but make it st make the character so Japanese. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not as simple as, this is our Sherlock, you know? It's like, this is our Sherlock from the DNA up. Like, it's, it's fantastic. That's true ownership, and it really changes the character it's still recognizably Sherlock Holmes. It feels like Sherlock Holmes, but it has this very intense emotional, you know, heartbeat to it that I adore and I love. And I, and I think it's very indicative of, of Japanese storytelling and many other things I love storytelling wise. And it's, it's great. I wish it was way easier to get a hold of. <laughs> I really do. I can't praise it enough. 
And if you listen to this, and if any of it makes sense, I certainly hope it does. Oh, man. I, I hope you could take some of this new fun knowledge or a refreshment, refreshment, refresher course, and apply it as you watch because there's just these beautiful gems of character work and, and character evolution. And not, a lot of it isn't spoken outright. It's very much an undercurrent of emotionality that you have to be paying attention and understand, you know, these pro-social behaviors to really grasp. And I can't wait till the second series, <laughs> the second season. One thing that I did want to ask you is that one thing that me and Christy did for a while was we would watch together uh, a Korean TV <gasps> oh God, show yeah. called Queen of Mystery, which, <laughs> which was another variation on the Sherlock Holmes template that was sort of it was like more of a divergence yeah for sure especially in terms of character because the sherlock character uh Sherlock, was a housewife uh she's i think she was mar- she was married to like a da i think judge judge that was right it. yeah something like that <laughs> and her her watson was a guy called wan Seung, who was a policeman and he was very um <laughs> active he's an idiot and i love him very much <laughs> Yeah, he's um we, we liked him pretty much immediately because he's a rowdy he's boy. He's a rowdy boy, yeah. He dresses like like circa yeah. Rumble in the Bronx, Jackie Chan. He pretty much thinks he's Jackie Chan, yeah. Jean jackets are worn. He wears like the the bright white the bright white uh, like Adidas sneaks. It's great. So it it's like really it like I thought that was a really interesting take on the like the, the Sherlock archetype. And I'm not just bringing this up because they're both from East Asian countries. I'm not trying to be like yeah, no, no, no. I we're talking about contemporary adaptations, and that is probably one of the elementary. I think it's the next one. It, there wasn't really anything there. It more sort of came to mind because it's it's a TV adaptation of Sherlock Holmes, where Sherlock Holmes is female. Yes. F- from what you sort of told me of Miss Sherlock, it was kind of interesting for me as you were telling me to contrast that with uh, Queen of Mystery because their Sherlock is, you know, she's very. I don't want to say she's like a stereotypical housewife because she's not, but she's much more amenable and she's more sort of friendly with people. That kind of in the show that con- that contrasts her with her Watson, who's this like gruff, yeah. acerbic, razor edge, barking dog, yeah, rowdy boy cop. And she, you know, she the episode that I remember is where like Wat- Watson's been to the crime scene. And he's been quite terse with the SOCO, the Cedar Crime, <laughs> like the CSI people. And then the same sort of thing, like more or less the same thing plays out with um, Sherlock. But she's, like, because she's nice to them, they're more forthcoming. <laughs> you know, she's, like, polite. It, it's, it is kind of an inversion on Queen of Mystery, which is an amazing series. I went out and I watched some more of it. And um, it did so well, too. We might get a second season. Uh <laughs> It was really popular when it came out. And you know what? Retroactively, that she reminds me of Lady Sherlock from the Sherry Thomas series a bit more. Like her, her, the reason you understand that Sherlock is because you know kind of her backstory and the pressure that she needs to get a husband and like all this stuff. And she has these abilities and things and it's kind of, she's adapted to fitting in, you know, like that's. Yeah what she feels like and that's kind of like charlotte from the lady sherlock series i got kind of a similar vibe from from her when i read those books yeah when when i read it it was i'd only sort of recently been watching queen of mystery at the time 
easy to see the connection. <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a great time for um, female Sherlock Holmeses. It is. We should we someone you know. We're living in in something of a golden age. Yeah, we got a, we got a lady doctor now. Why don't we have a, <laughs> a lady Sherlock? You don't feel like it's that hard, but evidently it's too much to ask. <laughs> Everyone else is doing it right. We've got Lucy Liu in elementary that as well. That's true. That's. Which is and, one of the best know, Watsons, the, hands the, down. The best Watson, I would go so far to say. I, I, Watson is really up there for me. Watson is really up there for me. And I, she jumped up there so dang quick. <laughs> I well, was shocked. The interesting thing that the the thing that I find interesting about that is like what you've told me about her character. It does very very. It, it's very evocative of Watson in the books because Watson. I'm pretty sure that the, there is like more than one occasion. Where it's not so much they have to find out who did who did a crime, they have to be able, they they're trying to like get proof that someone did a crime, and you know, the, there's been like various sort of stories that I've read, like not by Conan Doyle, but that have followed that mold, and it's it's often involved like a young woman who's like said you know oh that this, you know this man was my guardian and he's like defrauded me and like taking all my money and cast that's me out the the kitty kitty winner story so it's like stuff that's like similar to that and yeah. you know like sherlock holmes is like right we'll get the evidence to prove it and you know a lot of the time the way that watson's depicted is that he just wants to go and give the guy a thrashing <laughs> you know you, you get the impression in the stories that watson's very personable you get yes you know i mean certainly like, to an extent you you do have to be at least competent in talking to people if you're a doctor yeah but, bedside you know, manner and all that yeah but you, you kind of you get the impression a little bit that like watson's a little bit more socially clued in than, than Holmes <laughs> a little is, bit perhaps yeah. <laughs> um but he's more likely to like say be invited to a dinner party and know how to conduct himself <laughs> so it's interesting that that sort of is is almost like that's the character trait that's been carried over to Miss Sherlock for Watson, whereas like what's you know because like because in the stories Watson is is very sort of passionate about justice. You know Watson's yes. always like you know whenever he's presented with an injustice, he almost takes it as like a personal affront. It it I feel it's a very very true, true um, adaptation of the character because in the story, like you said, in the stories Watson will be so in tune to the injustice of it that it, it it gets him riled up and he kind of, you know, says something and Sherlock's like, ah, it's not that big a deal, like, just calm down. Like, it's okay. <laughs> you know, and, and it kind of happens in this show, but but it's it's a little different. But, but Watto is that person through and through, just instantly, you know, hackles up of like, well, they did what? They said, they said what? Why would they do that? You know? <laughs> it's great. You know, it's, <laughs> there's a, there's an anime, there always is. <laughs> uh, one you know of called Maho Shoujo Madoka Magica, and in it there's a character named Madoka, I've who is, yes, who is presented as the natural embodiment of Omoriari. She is like pure Omoriari altruistic ability. And this is something that, you know, again, Omoriari isn't natural. <laughs> it's not something you're born with and you just tap into it and you're like, oh, I see everything now. I understand everyone. That's not... <laughs> There is no how screen. it works, yeah. But there is this idea that some individuals have a more natural affinity for it, and Miss Sherlock Watto is definitely one of those people. In in Madoka, it's like this huge, like really intensely, uh, 
heightened <laughs> version of that in the character of Madoka, hence the series ending how it does, uh, which I haven't seen anyone really speak about, which is just a bummer. But that character kind of reminded me of Wado a little bit, and she's more, a bit more passive, but you know, she she tries her best to understand everyone's perspective to the point where it kind of makes her not make any choices <laughs> for a while. And But it, it's it's something similar like that. That's another character that I think of always whenever I try to, you know, example of Omoriari, that entire series basically, but <laughs> yeah, is is Madoka is kind of like John Watson, honestly. <laughs> Which is weird to say. Things I didn't think I'd be saying today, but you know, <laughs> it happens. There's a good fanfic in there somewhere, I think. <laughs> is a good one? Oh, subpar maybe. <laughs> Alright, there's an interesting there's fanfic an interesting, in there. Somewhere. There you go. It's an interesting one. Somewhere. A beautiful disaster waiting to be <laughs> just, yes. just just waiting to yes. be born to be polished. Um, yeah, <laughs> a beautiful turd waiting to be <laughs> yes. polished. Wonderful, <laughs> I love it. Have you have you read the third uh, Lady Sherlock book yet? Oh yeah, I have. Ah, uh, I haven't yet. Sucker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh wow. Okay. I have so now. much power right now, but I won't. It's cool. <laughs> no, it's because I'm. I'm it's one of the things that's supposed to be motivating me because um, I have somewhat foolishly, the the way that my schedule's worked out is I'm like, I have like four hour plus, f- four one hour plus podcasts to edit this week and it's Wednesday and I've done one and a half of them. <laughs> so You're working uh, so the hard, of, you're doing so well. The, the Hollow of Fear by Sherry Thomas, the third Lady Sherlock book. Will is be, my, will be the deep like, sigh after. That's one of my rewards for mm. getting for getting stuff finished hey, to the best of my ability. Hey, so. side sidebar on this whole podcast thing. Uh, pause. <laughs> you have to read Band Sinister. You have to. It's so good. By um KJ Charles. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I no. like I like their books. <laughs> yeah. Me too. You have to. Very important. I, I okay. That. Podcast start again. Okay. <laughs> Just a, a brief advertisement aside. Um, yes. As a reward for all your hard work, it's like <laughs> the just, cherry I mean, on top of. It's it's no you know it's no less than I deserve. Yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I this this is the thing I I kind of wanted to have the third book read when for when we did this, but it just hasn't shaken out that way. But that's okay. You you were the the reason that I read the first book. <gasps> I was. That's right. That was me. Yeah, you made You're me. You're welcome. I had, no, I had no say in the matter. That was your homework. Yeah. I'm the best. <laughs> also, on that one regard, thing, anyway. One thing we did last year was we talked about our favorite Sherlock Holmes things. Oh, that was so fun. One of yours was Young Miss Holmes, which is a, a shoujo manga. And uh, as a result the of shoujo-iest that... The shoujo As a result of that, I, I bought all three books. It's like, not shoujo, the, actually, but... <laughs> is it not? No, no. It, it looks shoujo as hell, and that's intentional. But it, it's a technically, it's a sentence series. I've also not read that yet. That's kind of. I'm waiting for like. Uh, I'm I'm gonna have it's it's my birthday in a few weeks and I'm gonna just have like the entire week off and I'm just gonna read and I'm gonna work through my backlog and I'm gonna read like I've, that's the thing I've bought so many books and I just haven't been able to get around to reading them so I'm gonna read all the Young Miss Sherlock's I'm gonna read the <laughs> JoJo's Bizarre Adventure books that I got. Oh my god! Like My Hero Academia and then like the various novels and stuff that I've got waiting. And before I read anything else, I'm going to read The Hollow of Fear by Sherry Thomas. Absolutely. We talked about in the previous episode. So 
Uh, I'm I'm sorry that I've sort of put so much of the burden on you for this episode, Christy. Yeah, that's okay. It's it's a learning experience, you know. I think I did okay. I I I, you know. (laughs) you get you gave me the means to watch the first three episodes of Miss Sherlock. Uh, I have I not. <laughs> I just haven't. I haven't had time. I'm sorry. That's it's, totally. It's not that I didn't. It's not that I didn't want to. It's like as soon as I've got as soon as I've got time, I'm probably you're, gonna give them a watch. You're busy. It's fine. It's like you know you finished reading the Lady Sherlock series and you're just evangelical about it, just handing it out on the corner that's like me in this this show i'm like <laughs> here let me upload it for you oh look i've i've got subtitles for you too here you go here's a link here's a link here's a link. <laughs> that's just what i've been doing i've been like going to people i'm like try this everybody Have this for a while a yeah see how that makes you feel <laughs> like some weird sherlock holmes drug dealer which <laughs> he probably had one of those huh um probably not he just probably just bought it from a chemist <sighs> times are different yeah Actually, he probably, I mean, Watson first met him in the chemistry lab at St. Bart's Hospital, so he probably had someone there who could get it for him wholesale. Do you think he even asked? I don't even think he asked. He's just like, I know where it is, I'll help myself. Turns up with a Gladstone bag. <laughs> he gets shows up, he looks at the guy who's in charge of it, he's like, oh, it's over there, okay. And he like, just takes it. It's like, what's that for? You know, experiments. stuff. It's like, Science. look over there real quick. Fuck you, that's what it's for. <laughs> this has been great. I think we should do it again next year. Yes, every year. <laughs> Until we run out of Sherlock stuff, which isn't going to happen, so we're no, good. Sherlock Holmes is always with us. <laughs> yeah. For better or for worse. Oh, man, know, wait. On the worst note. You know exactly what I mean by worse. On the worst note, have you seen oh, <laughs> the trailer for the Will Ferrell Sherlock Holmes movie? I, we talked about this last episode, and yes, I have, and I don't understand what's happening. Just... Lee, Lee, like, like Lee, gleefully, just, just the biggest <laughs> smile ran up to me. Was like, "There's a new Sherlock Holmes movie. I've seen the trailer." And I was like, "No, wow, weird." And he played it, and I was like, "What are you doing to me?" <laughs> at least, like, you gotta go see it. I can imagine your face, and it's more or less the face of Grumpy Cat. Yeah, at least, like, you gotta go see it, huh? Sherlock Holmes, you love Sherlock Holmes, and I'm like, "Why are you?" It's like it is because I love Sherlock Holmes that I will not see this. Why are you like this, doing this to me, Lee? He's like, I didn't produce this movie. <laughs> you know, maybe it's going to be good. Who can say? I mean, I like a lot of goofy Sherlock Holmes stuff. You know, I just don't know if it has anything to do with the the character, like who the characters are and how yeah, they're like, and I what it, if that it's matters. Probably, it's probably going to be very broad. I imagine That's that we're what it looked like. We might be in for the kind of Nigel Bruce type Watson. Mm. I do love John C. Riley, though. I'll be honest. As I said to Becca last episode, I don't think it's going to be another um, without a clue. Yeah. Which um, I don't know if you've seen. Is that the Michael Keaton one? It's uh, Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley. I said Michael Keaton just now, didn't I? I met I would, Michael Caine. I would, I would love to see Michael Keaton That'd play, be great. play Sherlock Holmes. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> That'd be amazing, yeah. I mean, he's been Before Batman. How, hard, you know, how different can it be? Um, oh, man. You guys are talking about the, the Batman show. Connection. Batman is Sherlock Holmes. He's the greatest detective, right? Yeah, he's kind of Sherlock Holmes by way of Zorro. Yeah, it's, that's exactly what he is. I'm just short floored at how simple Batman is sometimes. People are always like, he's the dark knight, he's the detective, he's this, he's that, he's that. I'm like, he's a little boy playing Zorro and Sherlock Holmes. Like, that's what he's doing. <laughs> that's it. One of, one of my favorite, and indeed one of the sort of better regarded episodes of the, in its own right, very well regarded um, Batman the Animated Series from the 90s. Mm. They did an episode which was about 
when Bruce Wayne was a kid, he was a fan of this TV show that was basically Batman, but not. And it was it was called The Grey Ghost, and it was like play you know the actor the the voice of the actor in that episode was done by Adam West. It was Batman in the sixties. It was all yes. very kind of it was all very meta. Yes, there was a kind of you know Batman's an interesting sort of case in the terms of detective fiction because it's all you know because it is married to like other kind of adventure story tropes absolutely and also like originated a few as well (laughs) yes at this point yeah for sure it is always interesting to see that kind of connection between batman and sherlock holmes because one of my favorite comics that's ever been produced is uh gotham by gaslight which was Mm, one of the first that was branded as an elseworlds which is the line that dc comics used to do which was their characters in different scenarios like it's superman but he's in medieval england and stuff or one of the ones i had was it's superman but during the american civil war yeah and one of the ones i the first ones that they did was gotham by gaslight which was batman in the 1890s and it was basically batman versus jack the ripper and that was kind of that in a lot of ways was very reminiscent of sherlock holmes just like because of the time period yeah you know there were kind of almost like costumed characters in victorian literature but they were sort of nothing like to the order of what we would understand as like a superhero but when you put a character like batman in that setting the sherlock holmes comparisons do become more apparent for sure i it's it's just it's the whole detective thing right like because if you say detective i think sherlock holmes so yeah you're talking about batman but my head's still like sherlock holmes <laughs> you know so it, it's the association of just even the word <laughs> and applying that to any character that happens to be a detective <laughs> of which batman is of what i don't know one of batman's um greatest enemies is uh raz al ghul who refers to batman as detective that's what he calls mm-hmm. it good old raz you think like capital d detective the only other thing that i've come across that in is works about sherlock holmes that are from the point of view of Moriarty and Moriarty's organization. And a lot of the times they don't refer to Holmes by name, they just refer to him as the detective. Yeah. And I think like that's quite telling. So I think it's intentional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talked because... about Batman in these more than I was expecting. Yeah, well, you know, we talked I, about Batman a lot I in mean, the last episode. I I honest guy really do kind of just my brain switches and flips between those two characters a lot. So I, that's interesting, but and, and they're not even remotely similar type of detectives. You know what I mean? They're really not. And I guess that it's hard to pin Batman down because he's got so many different authors with so many different versions and ideas of who Batman is and what type of detective he is. But my favorite Batman is Adam West Batman. And his detective work is a lot of, let's put it in the computer and see what happens and what it says. And <laughs> honestly, you can can kind of just be like well that's his deduction like that's his his flashy skill is to put it in the computer and see what the computer says you know sherlock stares at somebody and says oh you would quickly shave this morning because you know blah 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 blah. it's not really any different it's just the, the the physical literalness of what they're doing is different but it's the same you know but that's you know a really stripped down <laughs> understanding of it but but Batman and Sherlock are kind of the same coin to me, which I only realize now in this conversation, and it's kind of weird. 
if it's interesting to me because Batman and Sherlock Holmes, I think one of the main similarities that I can think of is that Sherlock Holmes and Batman are both characters that it is easy to write badly. <laughs> yes. Because if you look I at, agree. say, the BBC Sherlock, I kind of like realized after the fact a lot of the stuff that I didn't like about Sherlock in that show was because it sort of was reminiscent of the comics that I've read where Batman has been written in a similar way where Batman can never be wrong and he's always right he's always gonna win just because he's Batman him and he's and he's right because he's Batman and he's because this is the thing I prefer Superman too and i always have i always have to sit through stories where oh superman's gone evil and he's taken over the world and batman has to stop him because batman is the representative of humanity which firstly fuck off yeah (laughs) secondly it's like batman as a character that it would make more sense for uh, you know a white man with billions in inherited wealth for him to be the kind of guy who thinks that he should take over the world but we never (laughs) get that kind of story but that's That's the thing yeah with like sherlock holmes and batman it's so easy to write them badly because it's easy to make them unlikable it's easy to make them too perfect yeah like you drink your own kool-aid and then (laughs) you're stuck with this hollowed out character that's never wrong never has consequences never does anything bad and it's like what is what is even remotely interesting about that (laughs) and the worst part about bad batman comics a lot of the time is he's doing detective work he's not doing actually he's not detecting anything he's not doing jack shit that can be recognizable as any form of detective work (laughs) you know like it's so specialized to the dc universe or like stuff like that a lot of the time he's not even really doing detective work he's doing things that if he had a badge would constitute police brutality or in extreme cases murder there was never a point in the sherlock holmes book where Sherlock Holmes like works somebody well, over. Let's really in an quickly alleyway. not miss. Let's really quickly not miss the con- the other connection we can make though is that Sherlock and Batman are both a vigilantes in their own way, right? Am I? Is yeah, that, I is that crazy? It... I mean, he's a consulting detective. They ask him for help, but <laughs> I mean, he's not on the police payroll. They both work with the police, but they're kind of they're, they've both been shown to disregard like due process. Holmes yeah. is, you know, there's been cases, you know, in, in like not just in Conan Doyle, but in various adaptations where they show Sherlock Holmes as being someone for whom justice will always outweigh legality. Like the first arc in Elementary for Sherlock. Yeah, but when Batman is written well, you get kind of well, when it, when any superhero is written well, you get the the same kind of thing. Shazam, <laughs> that's a good detective, right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, only half uh, joking. No, because like you know, it's that that's. I mean, that's the thing. It, it's interesting how so many superheroes are given kind of detective-y reportery, or, or yeah, or like you know, de- like detective adjacent secret identities that sort of feeds into the adventure stuff. Yeah, it's just you know, like the the first like the com- well, you know what's commonly held to be the first superhero, Superman. Like his secret identity was a reporter, and a, you know, at the time, a reporter often had to have a lot of the same skill set as a detective. I, I mean, that's kind of what journalism is a lot of the time. They had to be both Holmes and Watson because they had to 
put the clues together and then write it up, you know, in an engaging way. So that's how I'm tenuously relating this to the theme of this podcast. <laughs> We're just big comic book nerds now. We're like, who else can we? Yeah. <laughs> This this kind of is sort of like sharing time as a Batman podcast. Yes. It's like a Batman podcast has like bought advertising space in our Sherlock Holmes podcast. <laughs> in case you haven't heard of the Batman. Bloody Batman is fucking everywhere. <laughs> Sick of it. <laughs> the characters never really connected to I mean, I said it's funny because, you know, the worst Batman stories are when he's not a detective. But my favorite Batman's Adam West, who is barely a detective <laughs> anything uh so i don't know i'm just hypocritical i guess but <laughs> there's a charm to it i i let it slide <laughs> infinitely more <laughs> yeah yeah well i reckon that's gotta do us for an episode yes and you know i think we you could probably cut out the last 20 minutes <laughs> if you want to oh we have to keep batman in we are having our Batman tangent. You have to I keep think. Batman in. I mentioned Shazam, Captain Marvel. Now I want to talk about Captain Marvel forever. We can do a Captain Marvel podcast at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> It'll just be me that, screaming. That's the thing. If you, if you ever just want to get on Skype and shoot the shit, then we can just do that. And it'll record. That we'll have a record of it. Let's and I can turn that it. into a podcast. Let's do it right now. <laughs> After the podcast. I can't. I need to sleep. I'm All sorry. Right. Oh no! <laughs> well, bye guys. I'm gonna talk, and Maddie's gonna fall asleep. <laughs> She's gonna hear me talk about Captain Marvel and <laughs> Billy Batson and Sunny Sparkle, who's the best character of all time. Right, I'm putting a stop to this. No, no, Sunny Sparkle. For those of you that don't know, <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> no, no, go on. He's like the strongest kid in the entire world because he's so. <laughs> nice like his superpower is literally he's just cute and people just look at him and they're like i want to give this kid anything he could possibly ask for so he'll be like can i have a dollar and they're like have all my money take all my money you know so he's like inadvertently robbing people it's he's the like best. The, he's like the hypno toad from future yeah, but he doesn't mean to he's like oh golly geez <laughs> whisper oh thanks so much i i just needed a dollar like you know <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> He's my favorite. So every every time he shows up, the Billy Batson has to figure out how to <laughs> fix things around Sunny Sparkle without, you know, causing anyone weird social problems. <laughs> it's great. I wonder if they brought him back in the in the modern comics and had him eaten by a dog. Oh, they yeah, um, yeah they bring him back. He killed his family. They're in jars or something. Why why are comics? <sighs> yeah, he's just a nice kid who needs some money for the bus. Heaven forbid we have one of those in this day and age, in the days of millennials <laughs> wholesale slaughtering entire industries. Anyway, this has become far too tan- tangential. I don't know if any of that is making the edit. I'm sorry. That's fine. <laughs> and the now audience I'm tired, probably so just, I'm just heard, like, well... me, heard us say all of that. So Okay, so I can... um, So, uh, this has been um, Shell October, a most irregular podcast. I've been joined again by Christy who is my wonderful friend and co-host. On uh, We do a podcast called The Wreckers, where we recommend each other various pieces of media that we then have to consume and talk about. So really, it's just two people enabling each other. <laughs> it's good. Sc- scroll down, you'll find it. We we put out episodes whenever we feel like it. We're both very <laughs> busy people. We have lives. Christy has children. I have soup that I need to keep an eye on. <laughs> you know... I'm not saying those things are 
are of, of equal they're importance. They're obviously equal. But, you know, the, no, it's, they're it's, equal. A, it's a feature of my life. Really so, good. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for listening. Sorry again about all the Batman talk. I don't understand how it keeps working I'm its way in. I'm not sorry about but... the Batman talk. <laughs> don't apologize for me. <laughs> I meant every word. Okay, well, that was a podcast. Bye. Aloha.